The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're lucky enough to have with us Dave Armit, the co-founder of Motorcycle Holdings. Now, the company is listed on the ASX, sitting on a market cap right now of close to $200 million, the ASX code MTO. Dave, so great to have you with us today. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good morning and hello. Now, tell us a bit about the journey. The company, uh, Motorcycle Holdings is now 32 years old. You started it back in 1989. Um, what a journey. It's been a long journey. It's been a terribly interesting one, full of challenges along the way. I've loved every minute of it. Um, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, I'm, I'm still enjoying it today. Reinvented ourselves along the way and, and had to change the way we've done things. Had to learn a lot. Um, but, you know, it's been a really good experience. I bet you didn't expect when you started the company 32 years, uh, 32 years ago that you'd be running a, a $200 million um, listed company. Not for a minute, Aurel. Not for a minute did I think I would be running a, a listed company of this size. Um, when I first started out, I was 23 years old. Um, I was looking forward to owning and running my own motorcycle dealership. That was my goal at that stage. Um, and really things just built from that point on. So no, I had no idea I'd be here. So you had lofty goals, even back at 23. I was very keen to own my own business, uh, that's for sure. And I was a motorcycle enthusiast. I thought, well, let's combine the two, you know, do something that you're, you're passionate about. Um, so the motorcycle industry was the obvious sort of business to get into. Um, and, you know, I, I just uh, had a head for it. It, it felt, felt natural, felt easy. And uh, as soon as I got one dealership, I wanted a second and a third and, and away we went. You go about financing that very first deal. I mean, was that something that your family stepped in and helped you with at 23 years of age? It, it was difficult. Yeah, it wasn't easy. I had saved. Um, I had saved some money uh, from from working. Um, I didn't need a heck of a lot back then because uh, to begin with, I only bought a third of one dealership, and it was a very small dealership. So I only needed sixty three thousand dollars. I think it was at the time. Uh, and I had um, $20,000 of my own cash and I borrowed the rest from the National Australia Bank at 21% interest, I might add. Back then, wow. housing rates were 18%. Yeah. So a, a business loan was 21%. So, and I mortgaged my mother's house uh, at that time. She was very, very kindly uh, prepared to let me borrow again. The bank wasn't very keen to, but uh, they didn't like um, repossessing uh, mother's houses. But uh, I took the bank into it, took my mother into it, um, and I borrowed the, the balance but, uh, you know, as soon as I could, I freed up my mother's house. I think it took me 18 months to get to a stage where I could get her, her house off that mortgage. Um, so there was no risk for her. But uh, certainly that helped me in the early days. That helped me get started. And once I got into business and started making money, well, then I was able to, to crank it up from there. So, yeah, but certainly got a, a hand, you know, 32 years ago when I was young. What, what would you say um, within your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, that's been the most difficult decision? that you've had to make? I mean, it's a very big question because obviously, as, you, as you've talked about, there's been many sort of twists and turns along the way. Uh, look, you know, there's one that stands out, Oriel, to be honest, and it's quite recent. It was when COVID struck last year. Uh, the very before things turned around, you know, our business was down 
40, 50%. You know, we were checking the figures daily and, and turnover was dropping rapidly. Uh, we were doing uh, remodeling the business every day for the, you know, where we would, might end up. And at one stage we had a business model that uh, had turnover down by 80% and how long we thought we could hold on at that sort of rate. Uh, we called the bank manager in and said, okay, this is the modeling that we've done. We're down 50% in turnover now. And it happened really quickly, like within a week or two, we were down that much. Uh, and I said, you know, this is serious. We had a lot of debt at that stage. Um, and I said, you know, we've got a uh, we've got a contingency plan. We, we can pull the overheads back. We can uh, we can ride this out, you know, for a number of months. Uh, the bank was very supportive. You know, that they liked the fact that we dealt with it quickly. So I think the hardest decision really was, you know, the the decision I had to make to lay people off at that stage. You know, I knew I was affecting, you know, my staff's life. Uh, we had 750 employees. We had to make dr dramatic cut, uh, cost cuts at that stage, and some people lost their jobs over it. And I found that exceptionally difficult because it, you know, it was having such a, a big impact on so many people. Have you been able to bring those people back on, Dave? Yeah, we have. Yeah, that, that's the, the best part. And, uh, fortunately, the downturn only lasted really only lasted thirty days. We had our worst month ever in business in April of last year, and I had my best month ever in business in May, the very next month. Uh, it was really was incredible the turnaround and how dramatic the turnaround was. So we soon found that we, we needed all those people back. So we were able to re-employ those people. Uh, we needed them uh, and, and away we went. We've had a tremendous run ever since. Now, talking about numbers, let's talk, let's break down the business a little bit here. Uh, you've had a, you had a record year of growth, um, 2020, 2021. You've just booked, announced in the last couple of days, an 86% surge in full year net profit to 283 um, million dollars. I mean, these are you were talking about the the, the best month, the just a month after the worst month, um, yeah. and that's just gone from there. I mean, this is this primarily. Do you think a COVID impact? Uh, look, there's certainly some uh, COVID tailwinds. There's no disputing that consumers have been looking for an activity that uh, is safe. Uh, they can't go overseas, so they're looking for things to do on weekends. Uh, and motorcycles, by and large, are a leisure activity. So uh, we certainly have benefited from a renewed interest in motorcycles, but at the same time, we've uh, taken a lot of steps within the business to put it in better shape uh, for the future, uh, extending the product range. We, we did cut overheads. Uh, we've added new, uh, new lines. We had bought two new dealerships not long before that. Uh, so yeah, a number of things had been done to, to set us up for a good year. Uh, so we went into this financial year with uh, really tight expenses, really tight there with uh, more product, a bigger range, uh, without having to invest a lot more capital. So uh, we were set to take advantage of a stronger market. So um, it really all just came together, you know, nicely for us. So in terms of your unit sales, um, specifically for bikes, um, you mixed up your inventory a bit, um, secondhand bikes, also your, your new units as well. Um, but you did particularly well by increasing volumes by almost double the industry standard. How did you manage that? Okay, well, that's something that we always aim to do regardless. But we were able to add a range of motorcycles that we hadn't had previously, a brand called Indian Motorcycles. We, we put that into six dealerships. Another brand called Polaris, which is an ag vehicle. We put that into two. Uh, a Royal Enfield went into uh, four dealerships. So we added a lot of additional product and we diversified a little with our product. We put in steel chainsaws and whippersnippers. We put in Husqvarna mowers into some dealerships where we could put in, added jet skis to the mix. Another brand called CF Moto, which is four wheelers for the ag market. So we put all of that into existing dealerships. 
we've got 37 sites across Australia. So we so we were able to add increase our product range without adding to our overhead costs. So the expenses were already there. So that brought in you know more product, more turnover, uh, more gross profit, and a lot of that flowed through to the net profit. So that that certainly boosted our um, our increase in the market share. So so talk to us. I'm particularly interested in jet skis and power tools. Um, Dave, because when yeah. I think about motorcycle holdings, I don't think, well, hey, I'm going to pop down to my local um, dealership and pick up, some, uh, you know, some drill bits or a uh... chainsaw or something like that. <laughs> well, as it turns out, um, our, our industry is quite suited to selling those products. We have a workshop for servicing those items. We've got mechanics there. Uh, we've already got a spare parts division. We've got salespeople that are focused on selling the product. Uh, so it's it's really a very similar sales process for a lawnmower or a chainsaw uh, as it is a motorcycle. So um, both manufacturers in the, those power product industries and the motorcycle industries like the idea of us joining the two products together. Uh, they thought it was just more exposure for their product, and we had the know-how to to service and sell them. So it really, it was quite a quite a neat fit. It works quite well in the motorcycle dealership. Is this going to require any kind of rebranding? Not really. We, we're keeping the brand the same. We just add that um, to the list of products that we sell or the list of brands that we sell. So no, not particularly. A bit of signage and a bit of marketing, of course, to support the, the brand, but our overall brand will remain the same. And you talked already this morning about um, um, cutting costs and how you worked very hard on that. Um, you are now debt-free, so you've you've cut costs. You are um, you're doing pretty well on your balance sheet. You've returned to paying dividends, um, so clearly there's some excess cash there to return to shareholders. Um, how is this? How are you going to go with uh, um, in keeping those improved margins going forward? Well, we're looking at our margins now compared to say 12 months ago, and they've maintained at an elevated level. So there's been no erosion of those margins so far. Uh, we've, we feel confident that the, the level that we're at, we're able to maintain for some time. There's still short supply with new bikes to some degree. Used bikes is, is very difficult. Um, you know, they're hard to buy. Uh, and all year we were low on stock because we sold all our stock in the first 90 days, you know, about 12 months ago. So our stock level was down by 50% at the beginning of the financial year from 2,000 bikes down to 1,000 bikes. This is used bikes I'm talking uh, so it was a real effort to rebuild that stock level, but eventually we did get back to our 2,000 units, which was about March of this year, uh, and we we're really able then to capitalise on this increase in margin that we we're able to get. So now we've got volume and margin, and that's really supporting uh, the dealerships across the board. That's that's countering any normalisation of the market or, or um, slight um, returning to normal sort of figures. So uh, we're still performing really well. It, it's um, underpinned our results to some degree. You know, there's there's numerous reasons, uh, as we've discussed, um, why COVID's had, you know, such a strong in business impact on business, um, yours obviously included. What happens when things start to normalise? Well, they have, I think. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And that's what we're, the market's been waiting for. Um, you know, I think we've, we're relatively cheap by the ASX standards on a PE ratio. Um, we look like very good value, but there's an expectation amongst fund managers or, or the general public that uh, we've had this great COVID um, influence on the business and that it's likely to, to come off and our profits will settle back down. Well, that's partially right. Uh, we have seen a rationalisation. Uh, the, the really boom that we had from COVID only lasted four months. That was May, June, July, August of last year. Then we went into lockdowns in Victoria and we slowed down a bit there, came out and Victoria went a bit better. And so this calendar year, say from January on, the market has kind of settled down to a, a normal sort of volume. 
albeit elevated from, say, two years ago, from 2019, but uh, not as strong as it was 12 months ago. Uh, and we saw that happen a little bit more in March. The, the used bike volume dropped off a little. So now for the first time, we're selling more used bikes this year than we did last year. That hasn't been the case you know, all year. We were struggling to do the same used bike volume up until about March. So now um, we feel as though we're in a, a normalised market. Uh, the heat's come out of it. Um, there's not big queues to get bikes now. We can supply relatively quickly for anyone who wants to buy a motorcycle. So it's feeling like a, a normal market to us. Uh, and we've been able to increase market share by adding those new products that I was talking about before, by a bigger focus on used bikes, employing more people to go out and buy them. I've got 10 guys who just buy used bikes for the group. Uh, that's their sole purpose for being. So that keeps us stocked up. Um, so we've grabbed market share there with the used bikes. So the industry has come off a little with used bikes, but we've actually gone up in, in sales. So we're going, countering the trend a little bit. Bigger picture question for you here, Dave. Um, what does the industry look like in 10 to 20 years' time? I mean, obviously in cars, uh, we, talk, we talk electric cars, we talk charging stations, uh, soft, you know, not necessarily um, uh, driven by AI, but, but that's on the cards too. What does it look like in the motorcycle world? Different. It's not the same as cars. And if we look at electric vehicles, motorcycles are certainly behind cars as far as the rollout goes. Um, there aren't really any electric motorcycles on the market at this stage. A couple of scooters, but certainly nothing of any significance. But um, they are coming. You know, we will get them in due course. But uh, it's a very different set of, you know, set of uh, circumstances. I don't think anyone wants to ride a motorcycle where they're not in control of it or, or the machine is riding the bike for them. That's the fun of a bike is actually riding it and controlling it. That's why people like riding motorcycles. It's a great feeling. So I think that, that part of it won't ever change. Well, not, for, not as far as I can see, not in my lifetime. Um, but, you know, electric vehicles will come. Um, Harley have had actually one motorcycle that they released last year, which was electric. And that was fun to ride. But it was not a sales success. Uh, you know, the, the pricing isn't right yet. Uh, in due course, the pricing will come down. But really, the market, uh, they're not commercial at this stage. But uh, they will be at some stage and we'll be ready for it. You know, um, we'll just adapt to it when it does happen. But we're not moving as quickly as the auto industry. Mm, mm, absolutely. I, and I think you made a very good point. Um, people buy motorcycles uh, for, for different reasons, obviously, that they buy by cars. Um, yes. Talk to us about lending in, in this industry. You've established a vehicle financing arm. Um, there's been huge success with other companies doing um, some form of uh, vehicle financing. How is that working for you? Right. So we've always done retail financing. That is, in the dealership level, we've provided you know finance and insurance to our customers. That That's something that we've done long term. But uh, I'm looking for anywhere that we can get vertical integration, whether it be accessories or uh, finance products. So um, we did a, a joint venture with a finance company, which we own 50-50. Uh, and we partnered with them to provide our own finance to our retail customers. So um, it's in its fourth year now. So we've the first three years, uh, it was um, it lost money, which was projected. And the fourth year, uh, it's made its first profit, which was last year. So it contribute, contributed 900000 after tax last year, which was our first year of making money there. Uh, as that book matures, it will become more profitable over the next couple of years. Um, so we, we see that as a, a great avenue to just basically make the most of vertical integration. Anything that we, we touch or feel, we like to try and get further up the chain to try and get um, you know earnings everywhere we can. So when you look out then over the next sort of two to five years, Dave, how do you see your revenue mix um, sort of shifting? 
Look, it won't change that much. Um, like the actual f uh, finance uh, part of our business is off our balance sheet completely. So we don't see uh, that necessarily. Um, so the revenue mix will stay, I think, pretty much the same. Uh, predominantly new bikes and used bikes. That is where the revenue comes from. But uh, we're very much focused on accessories as a business because we have a wholesale uh, division. We have our own business that imports motorcycle accessories from around the world. And we distribute those accessories to motorcycle dealerships all over Australia and New Zealand. So um, that's a, a big part of our business is this wholesale business. Obviously, we sell them to ourselves and we retail them. So ultimately, motorcycle accessories is, is close to half of our business overall. Mm, mm, okay. Now, you've said before um, publicly that the industry is very fragmented. And I know that you mentioned earlier you have had a couple of fairly recent acquisitions um, within the industry. But, but what can we expect going forward in the, in the way of M&A, Dave, given your balance sheets in such good shape? Yeah, this time a year ago, we had quite a bit of debt. We've, we've paid that off you know, completely. So we've got uh, zero bank debt. We're in a position now that we can borrow money if we want to. Um, we're keen to expand. That's the nature of the, the beast. You know, listed companies always look for growth. And that's the nature of me from, from 20, um, 32 years ago to today. We've, I've always wanted to grow the business. I get a kick out of it. Uh, I, I love creating deals and making business happen. So uh, that's certainly on our agenda. Uh, and, you know, it's an industry that is very fragmented. Uh, there is no other company doing a roll-up in our industry. We are the only players going out there trying to create something corporate and bigger. Um, you know, the next biggest group is is a fraction of our size and they're decreasing. They're, they're certainly not interested in doing a roll-up of any sort. So we've got, say, 750 dealers Australia-wide as an available market. We've only got 37 of those 750. Uh, there's plenty more that we can uh, buy in due course. So we've got lots of scope there. We've got a long tail, uh, basically, to keep growing the business or keep increasing our size. Uh, virtually no competition to buy those uh, businesses or very little. Um, and we're in a great position to plug in our business model and, and add them to the group. And of course, any other related business I'm interested in as well, other companies that might uh, manufacture or import ex motorcycle accessories, uh, we're always looking to do more at a wholesale level. And by that, I'm talking tyres, helmets, jackets, gloves. So we think we've got plenty of work to do as far as um, you know, rolling up more dealerships. The opportunity's there, and it looks like it's a long-term opportunity. It's not, not just for a few years and then things will change. Uh, I think I can do this until I'm ready to retire, that's for sure. Is there, do you have any interest or, or focus on geographic expansion? Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So we've, we started in Queensland, so we predominantly have Queensland covered. We moved into Victoria and New South Wales, you know, maybe 10 years, 10, 15 years ago. So we've, we've pushed into those states, but that's all. We haven't done anything in WA or South Australia, uh, Northern Territory. And of course, New Zealand is a, is a target market for us. But particularly at the moment, I'm liking New Zealand and I'm liking Western Australia. The motorcycle market is traditionally very strong in Western Australia. Uh, we don't have any dealerships there. And our wholesale company doesn't have a lot of penetration into the WA market either. So we think that's an obvious area for us to get involved in. Uh, and likewise with New Zealand. We do sell some accessories to New Zealand now through an agent, uh, but we don't feel as though we're getting as much representation as we'd like there. So I think we'll, we'll look to do more with our accessory business, and I think that'll be a stepping stone to doing perhaps retail business over there as well. Uh, but, you know, certainly there's more to do in Melbourne and Victoria. Uh, there's plenty of scope there for us to buy or add additional dealerships in due course. Oh, I very, very much look, look forward to watching your progress. Um, Dave, congratulations on 
co-founding a business that has done so exceptionally well. It's been a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And of course, thanks also today to all of our supporters and all of our listeners for listening in. You are uh, listening to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.